Hey, Bluntheads, this is Greg, and we are happy to bring you Bluntcast number nine um, as part of our quarantine specials where we've been doing these on Facebook Live every Friday night at about 8 or 9 p.m., depending on what works for the guest. This one aired a couple weeks ago, and this one features Tony Luke Jr., the famous sandwich and restaurateur from Philly. Uh, this one, Tony tells us a little about his intro to the sandwich world. He discusses the long and arduous process he uh, oversaw to get a frozen variety of the Tony Luke sandwiches that are of top quality and able to ship around the country. His creative passion of writing, uh, acting, singing, what he's up to these days, which is a lot of music stuff. He's been writing tracks for other artists. And he opens up about dealing with his son's harrowing case of COVID-19 and how they got through to the other side of it. Tony Luke Jr. really does a little of everything, and we talk about it all here. We hope you enjoy it. You can also check the video out on Facebook or our YouTube channel, All is the Philly Blunt. Hope you're all safe and not going crazy with the quarantine. Enjoy. It's the sound of Philadelphia. Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the weekly Friday night of Philly Blunt. My name's Johnny Goodtimes. I'm Reef. This is Greg. And you guys know us by now. You know that we want to get the people with the most insane resumes on the planet. Last week, we had a rapper, actor, cop. Uh, and this week, we've got a kickboxer, singer, and cheesesteak icon, Tony Luke Jr. Tony, welcome to the show. Welcome, welcome. Tony. Thanks, guys, for having me. You know, Tony, I know I'd be offended. He didn't uh, put actor into that. You got a nice little acting resume, too. No, but he put kickboxing, which I haven't True. done. And, like, I can't even get my leg past my knee. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, I don't, I don't even know where to begin. You know, I mean, there's, there, there, there's so much. And you've always kind of lived your life as an open book. Um, but let's go back and, and let's start back in the day because I know you're a South Philly guy and then suddenly you got you, you caught the acting bug and that more or less changed your life, right? Actually, no, that's not true. Good. I, love it. I love it when he's wrong. I love it. <laughs> I, well, I mean, I, I did. I, I went to, I was the first graduating class from creative and performing arts. Mm -hmm. So I was actually got kicked out of Bishop Newman, was working a regular job. Uh, my father saw an ad in the paper for a school that's auditioning. And he's like, you want to be an actor and a musician? And why don't you try doing it? Right. So I did. I auditioned. Thousands came out. I don't remember the exact amount, but it was only a couple hundred that actually made it. And I was lucky enough to be one of them. And uh, I wind up being the first graduating class of creative and performing arts, which I'm really showing my age now. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I, I music was, was always my music was my thing. Acting didn't come till later. I think from some stuff I've read or, or seen you say, like he wasn't the um, biggest supporter of the the arts. Was he surprised you got accepted, your dad? Uh, he could care. I don't think he cared one way or another. Yeah. To be honest. Yeah. Yeah, he so was. Where did that come, where did that come from? I mean. You know, like, you, you know, you've even described yourself as being kind of a, a, a tough guy in South Philly. And, and wh where did this where did this come from? You know, was there anybody in your family that was into acting and, and performing or where do you think it came from? Actually, I, I think it came from the fact that when I was very young, I was a very heavy kid. So I was picked on a lot. My grandmother was this old fashioned Italian woman who would kind of make me pasta and then sit me in front of the TV set, kind of cut to, to make me feel better. So I started to live my life through television, watching entertainers and comics and singers and actors and TV shows. And I would fantasize a lot about being someone else where the acting bug came in. And the music was always strong with me. I, I, I was born with that. Like I just, I was attracted to music from a very, very young age, as far back as I can remember. And uh, to this day, when things really get me down, if I sit in front of the TV, 
and watch a TV show while I'm eating, for some reason, it calms me down. Hmm. What, what, what music were, was it that, that, that caught you? What, what, what was it initially that you were like, oh, man, I love this? Uh, it, was, it was always the same genre. I wrote that genre. I performed that genre all through my, my young adulthood was R&B, which they don't even call it R&B music anymore. But it was, it was always rhythm and blues for me. Yeah. Have you, uh, the, the, do you like the newer style of R&B or are you more of the old school? Because I have a lot of friends and uncles and things that are like, that ain't, that ain't the R&B I know. You know, they used to well, sing it. It's different. Um, but you got to remember, I grew up in a genre where musicians played. Mm -hmm. Like everyone played. When I go in a studio and cut a vocal, if I did 20 takes, I did 20 takes. There was no auto tune. Mm -hmm. There was, you know, you had to splice tape together. Mm -hmm. You know, it was, yeah. it was a process. And you had to be good at what you did because there was no shortcut around it. Now, I'm a huge fan of the ease of recording now mm -hmm. because you know if you look behind me there's like 30 mm -hmm. tracks that i've done that i've you know played on piano and did vocals in my home studio that rivaled anything i ever did <laughs> in multi-million dollar studios back in the uh, the early 80s but i still stay true to that it's my favorite and ballads were mm -hmm. really my thing. Like I wrote for Brandy Wells, I wrote for Billy Paul. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I wrote for those guys. I worked with Jeffrey Osborne, mm -hmm. and um, there was just I worked with George Clinton at one mm -hmm. point, mm -hmm. and wow. it, was, it was amazing because I got my first record deal at A and M Records. I think in '84, '85. Okay, I got signed by Jonathan McLean, which was really funny because. They signed me sight unseen. Now today, today, today it sounds ridiculous, but back then it wasn't. I remember walking into Jonathan McLean's office, and he's like, "Who are you?" And I'm like, "My real name is Lucidonio." So I'm like, "I'm Tony Lucidonio. I'm with the group off the street." And he was like, "So what do you do? Do you play guitar?" Like I'm like, "No, I'm the lead vocalist." He says, "No, no." Black. I'm like, no, okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I was checking out some of your Spotify stuff tonight, and it, I was surprised you did not sound like I thought you would sound like. I would no, never thought you. that was your voice. It's a good voice. Do you think um, being in Philly and Italian, did Jerry Blavitt had an I influence on you or uh, your parents? Uh, that kind of, believe it or not, and, and please, no hate mail, please. <laughs> <laughs> The the 50s doo-wop is the one style of music that I never really could wrap myself around. I just... Yeah, Jerry's, it just all, Jerry's already writing. Bad, it just wasn't for me. Right. Jerry's, Jerry's already writing hate mail right now. He's starting. <laughs> <laughs> Jerry would be like, my man, why you got to throw that hand? <laughs> yeah, yeah you, you like that bubblegum music. <laughs> now I'm um I'm I'm down in the neighborhood. I'm off I'm off Second and Wolf. I'm, I walked to your to your establishment. You know, many many nights inebriated, getting me some late night grub. Uh, what do you see? We we've been hearing for years that you know the neighborhood's about to explode, but they got the South Pole. They got the casino coming. Are you guys in for the long haul down there, or do you do you see it it, it being a good thing? Actually, believe it or not, I don't have anything to do with the original store. Okay, all right. No, I haven't really kept up with what they're doing. Like, the brand is mine. Mm -hmm. All of the franchising, the name, the trademark, but the actual, that original store, mm -hmm. I haven't had anything to do with. Probably going on five years, maybe. Okay, okay. Five, what, six what, yeah, so what, um, you know, what's the breakdown there? Because, you know, I mean, obviously, Tony Lukes is an iconic name in Philadelphia, and I, I think, you know, this thing played out publicly and we, we all know that there was, you know, some family problems. But, like, when, when, when all was said and done, what, what do you have and what's no longer – what are you no longer affiliated with? My father and my brother have the original location. Okay. And I have everything else. Okay. Right. Is it, is it stressful being Tony Luke, the guy we see on TV and in magazines and stuff? The face of the franchise. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, 
Not really. Uh, I don't know if I would say it's stressful. I mean, your life becomes an open book. Um, I, I enjoy being around people. Um, so I enjoy it. I mean, you know, you got to take the good with the bad. I mean, uh, Frankie Oliveri, who owns Pat's, and Gino Vento, who owns Gino's, are very close friends of mine. So we go to dinner a lot. And in Philly, you know, it's totally normal to have someone walk across the table and go, eh, Tony Luke, you suck. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, you're the best. Pat, you suck. Like, that's totally, you know, and we yeah. laugh. Like, you right, know, right. You laugh. Right. Yeah, I mean it's it, it's funny because you know it's it's such a unique to Philly thing that three guys that own cheesesteak restaurants are are a buddies and also b rivals. Like what what's the what's the dividing line? Well, I don't think I have a dividing line. The one thing I took with me from a kid learning about business, and it really is a true statement. No one could ever put you out of business. No one could ever hurt your business but you. you. Oh, man. People are that. going somewhere else is because you're not doing what you're supposed to be doing. Now, there is, to me, there is no such thing as the best. People say, Tony, why is your cheesesteak or roast pork the best? I don't ever say it's the best because taste is relative. What you yeah. think is great, I may not think is great. So when people say ours is the best, I go, mm, that's kind of mm. relative. Mm. So if you're not eating one of your steaks, where's the first place you go for one? Actually, I've eaten steaks everywhere. There's only one place that I have not eaten, and it's only been because I have never had a chance to actually get there. But it is my number one priority to go to. Angelo's? It is a place called Donkeys. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Camden. Camden. I have not, I, oh, I've heard such amazing things about this place. And I've been traveling a lot. I, you know, I had the TV series on Spike. And now I have a new series on Amazon uh, called Comedy Kitchen, mm -hmm. which kind of got held up now because of the virus. Yeah. You know, everything right. shut down. So I normally travel a lot. So I'm not home very much. And then with the music and writing and doing all those things, it's difficult. My time is really stretched thin. Yeah. What, what are you up to tomorrow? To... What's that? I said, what are you up to tomorrow? That's the four of us. Let's go to Donkeys. What are you I'm for? writing, Mom. I'm stuck in this recording studio. I still have an album to finish. So. There you okay. Go. There all you right. Go. When it comes to the to, to the TV shows, do you come up with the ideas or do people pitch them to you and then you, you executive produce them or is it all from your brain? No, actually, Comedy Kitchen was not my idea. Mm -hmm. It was Craig Shoemaker's idea. It was a very famous comic. The Office, right? Or I... uh, he was in, he was in uh, Parks and Recreation. That's it. And Craig came to me and said, well, actually, we became very good friends years ago. Mm -hmm. So he came to me once and said, hey, what do you think about teaching me how to cook? Mm -hmm. He said, because, Tony, in, on film, your comic timing is really good. Mm -hmm. He said, so, did you ever try stand-up? And I was like, mm, stand-up's a whole other animal. And I'm like, I don't know. And he's like, I think you can do it. Let me mentor you in stand-up, and I'll, you mentor me in cooking. So we did it. and caught the eye of BBC America, and they shot a pilot called, um, God, I don't remember what it was called food and something comedy and food or food and whatever they didn't they decided not to pick it up but then we thought what if we well craig thought what if he changes it creates a show where i take famous comics and make their meals their come true and do the best that they can to compete with famous chefs who craig is teaching to do comedy <laughs> and I love it's amazing. In fact, you've got to watch the episode of with me and Bill Bellamy because he <laughs> absolutely killed it in the killed it in the kitchen. And Gina Nelly did amazing on stage uh, doing comedy. It's a great show. And once this is over and Amazon gets gets back on track, we're shooting another uh, another nine episodes, I think, and then the season will come out. 
That's awesome. So this is all like on Amazon Prime? Yes. Okay. Now the nail is on Amazon. Like I couldn't believe that. I'm, I'm looking at Amazon and the nail resurfaced. <laughs> and it's doing amazingly well on Amazon Prime. Awesome. And oh, that nice. holds a very dear uh, spot in my heart because that was the first time I wore every hat. I wrote that movie, produced it, played the lead, sang the title, soundtrack, um, and um, distributed that film. And it just, I remember in 2009, it just exploded. It became a massive cult film. And then to see it reborn on Amazon was really, really great. Awesome. Where, where does this energy come from? Uh, I, love being, I love being creative. I just, if I'm in the studio, I can be here 20 hours, man. I never get tired. Mm -hmm. But if you, and, you know, being in front of the camera or doing a film, learning a script, finding out what, you know, who the character is, I really enjoy that, but I got to tell you, if you pushed me into a corner and said if you had to give everything up and choose only one thing, it would always be music. That's beautiful. Oh, as, wow. as, a, as a songwriter, where do you get inspiration from? Is it just, you just ideas pop in your head and you pull that pen out, or is it life experience? What do you write from? Um, I'll tell you what, I get my experience from the same place every writer gets, and if he tells you otherwise, he's lying. And that's from, from God, from a higher source. Mm -hmm. um, I use my life experience. My, obviously, my music now is a little bit darker um, because I've been through so much. Mm -hmm. um, it isn't, you know, I still try to keep a positive attitude on songs that I do write. But, you know, I, I, I feel grateful and blessed and, and, you know, for the gifts that God has given me. But I am also know that those gifts were not meant for me to self-profit. So I try never to write a song that doesn't either affect someone in a positive way or makes them think about something because if you're given a gift, you need to share that gift for the right reasons. Absolutely. And I really, I, and, I, and I do, when I, I write a song, you know, sometimes I sit back and I think there was nothing and then there was something there's no way that that came from me. It, it, it can't. I mean, I, 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 I guess I allow myself to be a receptor of that, of that gift or, or those music vibes. Mm -hmm. uh, and it, cause it, when I tell you, it just comes to me, I'll be laying in bed, hear the song in my head, run in here, jump on the piano, play, play the chords. Then I, I actually, there's a song, a new artist is coming out. May 1st, she's, she's dropping her, her EP. Her name is Gabrielle. Be on the lookout for this woman. In fact, um, she's on iTunes now. We redid Bob Marley's Three Little Birds was the first I saw singer. that. She, she has a beautiful voice. Yep. She is a monster. So me and Joe Kalari, do you know who Joe Kalari is? They call mm -hmm. him Joe Too Cool Kalari. <laughs> he was a huge name on Power 99. Uh, incredible mixer amazing mixer so we went to see a star is born which w was the first time i had seen him in a while and we said you know what let's go out let's go watch a film let's just hang out i haven't seen you in forever and that movie really affected me because of my son and addiction and everything i had gone through it really hit me hit home and as i was walking out i out of nowhere joe kalahari says to me you know, the closer we get, the further we're apart. And I'm like, mm. what? And he goes, the movie just kind of hit me that the closer someone gets, the further they're apart. And I'm like, say that line again. And he went, the closer we get, the further we're apart. And then all of a sudden, my mind was like, and even through the distance, it's a matter of the heart. I'm like, I have a song. Mm. This is midnight. I'm like, <laughs> get in my car. We're going to my home studio in Three hours, we had written a song called Walk Away that's on Gabby's new EP that's, like I said, it's being released on May 1st. I don't know where it comes from. I just hear it. You know, he heard it. I don't know where he gets his gift from. It just comes to me, and I just, it, I just let, it, I let it flow. I never sit down and think, I need to write a hit record. Right. Because, right. again, 
music is subjective. So right. you don't ever know what's going to stick. I just write my life. I, fight, mm -hmm. I write what I feel. In fact, if you listen to everything I've ever written, it literally tells the story of my life mm -hmm. to today. How, how do you decide what stays with you and how, what goes to somebody else? I'm a songwriter at heart. If it was up to me, I would never sing. Mm -hmm. Because I enjoy singing, but I want to hear someone else bring my music to life. But what happened was a lot of my friends, actually, I did South by Southwest two mm -hmm. years ago. Mm -hmm. And I got up to perform at the Philly Mix, and there were all these young kids in their 20s. Now, I'm an old guy. <laughs> and when they said I was going to get up to perform, you could hear the crowd literally laughing. Oh, you know, because it's like the cheesesteak guy, Tony Luke, wants to get up and do a track. And I'm like, <laughs> yeah. it's a new single I just wrote called Walk Away, and I want to perform it. And the crowd went no, I couldn't believe it. These young mm -hmm. kids were going, is it available to stream? Where do I get it? Where are you performing? I'm like, you do realize I'm 58 years old. Right? <laughs> and they were like, Tony, it's obvious you don't know anything about our generation. Mm -hmm. I don't know what it was like in your your generation, but in our generation, we want to listen to music that has a purpose, that tells a story, that has meaning. We would go to any concert you're performing, we would be there and follow you. And it inspired me to kind of put out my own album of the songs I've written over mm -hmm. the years, only, you know, newer, like just more of a production twist. Mm -hmm. And I hooked up with uh, Joe the Butcher Niccolo. Oh, legend. nice. Legend. Yeah. yeah. He is a legend. Now, yeah. Joe produced Gabby's entire EP. Oh, wow. Okay. You know, and it's right. amazing to, to write something and then be in the studio watching Joe do the production. As I tell people, here's what I do for a living as a musician. I bake a cake. Mm. I bake the best possible cake that I can bake. But I need a producer to decorate that cake. <laughs> right. You know what I mean? Like the cake's got all the ingredients you need, except <laughs> now it's got to be decorated. Yeah. It's got to look like something you want to eat. And that's where guys like Joe Niccolo and other incredible producers, you know, do their thing. They take that cake and they make it a masterpiece. All right. Walk me right. through cheesesteak anthem. I was listening to oh that earlier that today. Was, <laughs> cheese steak anthem. Oh, my God. earlier today. Cheesesteak anthem was written by an amazing songwriter named Skip Denenberg. Oh, I know. He does stuff on sports stuff. In he the does stuff too. on WIP. So he had written this track already, and he allowed me to write some new lyrics to make it fit what I was doing. Yeah. yeah. So even, even though I did write some new lyrics on the track, I always give him full credit as the songwriter of the Cheesesteak Amp. Yeah. Awesome. It's available on Spotify if anyone wants to check it out. Yeah. I actually performed that on Broadway – on tour with Daryl, live from Daryl's house. Oh, nice. wow. Mm -hmm. I performed it at the, it was me, Daryl Hall, uh, Alan Stone, and Sharon Jones from the Dap Kings. Rest in we peace. Toured. We did a whole tour together. It was amazing. <laughs> Unbelievable. Wow. There's, there's a, uh, the, the, there's, Stephen King wrote a book called On Writing. And in the book, he said that the, the, the words are already there, that you're an excavator and you're digging them out of the mountain, basically. And I, and I want to put this to you, and I, I'll put it to Reef too, because Reef's also a songwriter. Like, do you guys feel like the words are there and you're just, your job is to find them, or do you feel like they're coming directly from you? Well, let Reef answer that one first. Well, I, I agree with he, what he said, man. It's literally like I'm. I sit. I, I sit down. I close my eyes. Open them again, and the song's written. I don't. I don't. I, I black out. You know. I don't really know where. Um. You know, something might inspire me or, or trigger something in my brain, but once it gets going, it just it it writes itself. So that's my opinion. So I, no, I agree and, with you. And I agree. Now, before you called, I was finishing up a track. I wanted to do something. Like, I love horns. Like, that's mm -hmm. my thing. Mm -hmm. So I don't know how well you can hear it, but I'll play you a snippet of a new track I just wrote uh, called uh, Indescribable. Mm -hmm. 
And it's the, this was done here in the studio. If it's too loud, let me know. I'll lower. to do something kind of old school and yeah. just horns are uplifting man they make you feel like it's just a just a, a power you know yeah, yeah I, and that kind of groove that's kind of my homage to billy joel actually okay because it had a real billy joelish feel to it for sure good stuff yeah, man. We're, we're, we're sitting here and we're talking to an icon of the philly cheesesteak and we pretty much haven't even brought up the cheesesteak and I kind of wonder if, you know, like to you, that was more of an entry into what you really wanted to do than that was the actual passion. And I wonder about that. Well, look, I, you know, cheesesteak is one of my favorite foods ever. Um, I, I'm not, a, you know, I, I always said this. I'm not a businessman. Mm. If I had to categorize myself as anything is a marketer. Like doing PR and marketing is what I really love to do. And right. I had a really great product. And I kind of always thought out of the box to begin with. And, you know, Tony Luke's was a cheesesteak place that when we opened that, that was not the best spot to be in. Number <laughs> one. There was nothing but truckers coming down. And there were a thousand cheesesteak places in Philly. So I had to figure out how do I get them to look here? How do I get them to come and taste this product and that's when I came up with doing at the time no one was doing it those really ridiculous commercials <laughs> that we had done. Oh, I was hoping we I was hoping we could watch one or two of them. <laughs> you know, so, they reminded me of the old Crash Brothers back in the exactly. day. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, so good. <laughs> now you know it's funny, Benny Crash, I don't know how many people know this. Philly International Records, all the sound of Philadelphia. Benny Crass had a huge part in playing in that. Oh, yeah? Huge. Really? Huge. Okay. I, I'll give you another little bit of trivia. Mm -hmm. Okay, so do you know who all Craig that trivia White here. is? Oh, yeah, yeah. Do you know who Craig White is, the engineer? No. Well, he does Philadelphia. A lot. Yeah. He does, a, he does a lot of work. So I'm recording a track at Philly International Records. In the studio, we get done recording. I go home. The studio burnt down. So the trivia question is, if you ever asked, who was the last person <laughs> to record a Philly International record? <laughs> it was me. Are you serious? I'm dead serious. <laughs> I, 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 I feel like that's going to be on your gravestone. Everybody's going to think it's going to be a cheesesteak king, and yeah, you're going to say, yeah. no, last yeah. guy to record in Philadelphia right. International. Right. <laughs> Tony, do you, do, you, do you prefer the, the big studio, or do you like being in the home studio more now? Uh, I like doing all the pre-product, like I like baking the cake here, mm -hmm, mm -hmm, but mm -hmm. then I love going to the, to the, um, not the big studios because they don't really need them anymore unless no. you're doing live, you know, no. live groups. Mm -hmm. But Joe Niccolo has got such an amazing studio, a garage studio that the Bacon Brothers just recorded there a little while ago. And he gets such a great sound out of that. And if you listen to, you know, the, uh, Gabrielle's tracks, Gabrielle Delisi, and do me a favor. I just want to use the opportunity. She is a new artist. She's an indie. She's a Philly girl. Mm. Please go on uh, Instagram, guys. Gabrielle yeah. Delisi. Definitely check her out after this. Her yeah. Follower, yeah. Help promote her because this girl is a 17. This girl's a 50 year old jazz singer <laughs> stuck in a 17 year old body. 
Okay. Yeah. Now I listened to the song yesterday. It was really beautiful. Yeah. Right. The let three me, little birds. Yeah. Let me try and share the screen. Let's see if this works. Oh, we'll see if we can watch something together. Can you see? Oh that? my God! Oh, boy. Yeah. Yes, it is. That was way cooler from Pretty Poison. Oh, wow. Really? <laughs> that's who knows who that is? Back. Everybody knows James. <laughs> well, that's James singing in the background. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a yeah. Pretty Poison tune. Yeah, great. That's a great <laughs> underrated Philly band. Yeah. My favorite of those commercials was the boxing one. Yeah. Oh, I thought you were gonna say the orgasm one. I watched that one earlier. Too. Oh, that was. <laughs> I don't know how I got away with that back then. Yeah. <laughs> different, different times, man. Different. Times. <laughs> yeah. You know, but then as things changed and things happened, you know, went the way they went. Wait. I knew I had to reinvent the brand. All right, so I, I spent eighteen months perfecting a frozen cheesesteak that was made to bake in the oven, comes out like you would not believe. It, is, it revolutionized the way you bake off frozen sandwiches. You thaw it out at home. QVC were like rated their top seller. It's as close as you will ever get to getting it at home because it doesn't reheat. It literally bakes in the oven. Okay. It's, it, it's one of our, it's literally changing where the brand is going. That's why I wanted to, I had that written down. I wanted to know how long it took. It took you 18 months to come up with that. 18 technique. months to develop that. Yeah. Wow. Mm. And, and what's, the, what's that? I, I, what's the, what, what's the game plan at this point? I mean, you know, you guys have obviously opened, you know, a lot of chains and at the same time, you know, you've, you, you then had to kind of come back and deal with, uh, legal situation with family and everything like that. Where is the brand here? We're 2020. Where is the Tony Luke's brand from your end? Well, the brand right now is now concentrating on uh, frozen food. We're still, we have another uh, two stores opening up in New York City, um, one in Manhattan. Uh, so those are places that people bought already. But we have a new way of doing cheesesteaks that I can't get into right now that will revolutionize the way cheesesteaks are made. And we're living, we're living in the, you know, we're obviously living in the age of COVID. So people making food at home is going to be a big part of growth, the growth industry of any restaurant, right? It's like people aren't going to go out for food as much. They're going to be cooking at home more and more. Is that, do you, do you think that the fact that you've already put that time in is going to play to your advantage on that? Well, I actually, I got I to gotta be honest. People are creatures of habit. If I've lived long enough to know that. People may not go, but, but I got to tell you, I literally saw this trend years ago. People going out less and less and less and less, but they're not going to cook at home. They're going to order food or get food that's pre-made that they can heat up at home. Mm -hmm. If I see it going anywhere, that's where I see it going where okay. people are going to be on the phone going, hey, I'm getting dinners delivered that I can throw in an oven, take out of a freezer, out of the refrigerator, put it in an oven or microwave, and I have dinner for my family. That's where I see it go. Right. Okay. Yeah. Uh, Tony, I wanted to uh, get a little bit serious for a minute. Um, you know, as someone who my father had troubles with addiction, my, my brother had troubles with addiction, um, as someone that has experienced it in the most horrific way, how do we beat this thing? How, where does it start? How do we end it? Where does it, because it seems like it's gotten worse than, you know, I'm an 80s kid, so it was crack, cocaine. This opioid thing, man, this is like something we've never seen before. Where do you well, think, uh, what do you think we can do? Well, I think the first thing we need to do is to recognize addiction for what it is. First of all, addiction is nothing more than self-medicating. I do it. When my son 
Tony passed away. In one year, I put on 110 pounds because the way I self-medicate is with carbohydrates, with pizza, with pasta. I'm not taking a drug, but I'm eating food. That is my addiction. That is, not, that is my way of self-medicating. We have to look at addiction and understand addiction is not a choice. Somebody, if somebody parties too much or, and it affects their job, they have a drug problem. They don't, they're not suffering from addiction. When you're suffering from addiction, you're self-medicating a pain. And that pain comes from mental health and it comes from trauma, whether sexual trauma or emotional trauma. It comes from physical trauma. So we have to look at it correctly first before we can understand. Now, finally, after speaking and all of these people coming on board now, getting the right picture, Addiction needs to be treated exactly like you treat a mental health condition. What is addiction? It's bipolar. It's manic depressive. It's serious trauma. It's, you know, it's uh, low self-esteem. You have to treat the underlying cause because those that are suffering from addiction are just self-medicating. That's all they're doing. And if you think people, like I, I tell people, if you think people want to alienate themselves from their family, if they want to live in the street, they want to sell their body, they want to rob and do all of these things to self-medicate. If you think this is because this is something they can handle, think about how much pain you have to be in knowing that that is easier for you to deal with than the actual trauma itself. You need to get on board, they need therapy, they need, um, you know, they need to talk to therapists or psychologists. Uh, the, the whole addiction system needs to be brought into that fold where it's not, we're treating, here's what we're doing. In, again, my opinion. Would you take someone who was bipolar and then take them off their meds and then want to know why they're losing their mind? You need to get to the root of the issue and then slowly wean them off medication so that they find other ways to self-medicate instead of using heroin or the opioids that they're using. It's just a way for them to self-medicate. If we, if we just tell them stop or we expect them to have willpower, willpower doesn't work. No one can hold on forever on willpower. Eventually, we all break. It's that perfect storm. So I'm not saying we don't need support. We always need support. Meetings are incredible. You know, and I don't like using the word getting clean because to me, it, donate, it, 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 it donates dirty. People need to be in recovery. And the, and the recovery field is amazing, and I love what they're doing, but they need to incorporate the mental health and the trauma issue, or we're never going to get a handle on this. It's never going to change. If we change that, it will change. Beautifully said, man. Yeah. yeah. Do, do you feel like, I mean, you, you know, you're a South Philly guy, and, and, and you know, you, you said yourself, you, you know, you came up in a, in a tough environment. Like in that environment, is it even more difficult to get that message across when there is that sort of uh, that, you know, today the term, I guess, is toxic masculinity. But like that sort of tough guy thing, is that is that tough to break through? Uh, you know, I don't I, I with this generation, definitely not with the older generation. Sometimes it's difficult. I try to explain it to them, you know, and I try to explain to them. I've always been very emotional. Yeah, you know, it didn't take away yeah. anything I ever did. You know, I was an right. amateur fighter. I did everything, you know, I, I did whatever I needed to do, but I still was very emotional. I think that when we put up that front, that's part of the trauma that we don't want to deal with when we feel like we have to man up all the time. And it, when you go through enough in your lifetime and you get older or you lose enough people, you understand that. I don't have anything to prove to you. Now, I happen to be a very, very spiritual guy. Like, I have a very strong faith. So, to me, I would like you to, to like me, but the truth is the only person I answer to when I die 
for me is God. So if I'm true to myself and I always try to do the right thing, it doesn't matter what your opinion is of me because you're not the one judging me. You're not the one that pays my bills. So if you notice any negative comments I get on social media, I never respond. I, mm -hmm. I won't give them that power. I won't feed into it. I won't do it. Smart way to be. Yeah, you can't win that anyway. You better no, run. it's just, and then you get dragged in to whatever. Yeah, that's all they want. All they want. All they want is the response. They just want the attention. Yeah. Yeah, I never give it. Never. And believe me, people have said some, some really nasty things to me. And I, you know, even if it's in person, my, you know, my attitude is always, well, I'm sorry that you feel that way. But now, don't get me wrong. I am so much about nonviolence. I really am. I will walk away every time. But if you put your hands on me, it becomes a whole different, <laughs> you know, a whole different story. Like for me to actually have a physical altercation with you, you really got to be the aggressor. Right. Because I don't care what you say to me, it doesn't mean anything. I'm walking away unless it gets to a point where I can't walk away. Then I don't have a choice. But right. you know, but to defend yourself. Now you right. can't leave. Now you can't leave. That's what you said. Now you yeah, can't. Now you, can't. <laughs> <laughs> You've, you know, we're we're living in, uh, you know, the most unique, you know, year of our lives probably, and you've been hit very directly by this. You had a son who just a month ago was on death's doorstep. Um, how, you know, that, that had to be just, I, I can't even fathom, you know, you'd lost a son and now you had another one that was, you know, you didn't know if you were going to lose or not. What, what, what was that situation like for you? I remember when he called me, he said he had a fever, but then the fever was kind of balancing out. Eight days later, he developed a cough and then he had trouble breathing and they called me, said they were taking him to the hospital. And when I got the phone call, that they were putting him on a ventilator and hold on a second. I'm declining a call. Um, when I found out they were putting him on a ventilator, I remember dropping to my knees and I just remember saying to God, I won't make it through this one. Like I, I, I'm, I'm begging you. I'm begging you. Don't take another child from me, please. I, I can't, I can't, I, I, I'm barely, by the, a thread am I holding on losing my first child it was and I but I remember it got so bad for me now you have to remember March 27th I was just at the grave of my son it was his three-year anniversary of him passing March 31st my son Michael goes into a coma on a breathing tube okay and now the the crazier thing is my son Michael is four days older than a uh, four days older than Tony, but three years younger. Okay. Like he, he, he was born on the 12th. Tony was born on the eighth. So there's a four day difference. When Michael went into the hospital and went on the breathing machine that day, March 31st, he was the exact same age Oh, to wow. the day that my son Tony passed away. My son Tony was 35 years old, nine months and 19 days. When Michael went to Comey, he was 35 years old, nine months, 19 days. Wow. And I couldn't, and I remember it got so bad that the only way for me to cope, I literally remember saying, I, I have to lay this at Jesus' feet. I, I can't, I can't, I can't carry it. And I remember just praying and saying the rosaries every night and just thinking, I know your will be done. I get it. I get it. And I'm nobody special that you should hear this prayer. I just, I'm just begging you, if there's any way to strengthen him, if there's any way to save him, please. And when he came off the ventilator, I remember dropping to my knees again, just crying. And, and I just thought, I, I, if I think I'm a, you know, whatever I'm doing now, I'm going to intensify it a thousand because how do I, how do I pay that back? You know, other than just praise God. I mean, I, I, I don't know. Else. I mean, to me, it was, it was a miracle. I, I, I don't know any other way to say it. And it not only was his life saved, 
But believe me when I tell you, my family's life was safe as well. We would have never gotten through that. Wow. Yeah, I, you know, I mean. Thank you for sharing that, man. That's... Yeah, thank you. Thank you for, yeah, thank you for being that that honest with us. That's that's powerful. I mean, I, I uh, you know, we're, we're, we're living through, like, again, like the most unprecedented year of our lifetimes. I mean, this is the year that we're all going to look, I mean, we're all going to look back on. Our grandkids are going to ask us about, uh, do you see any positives coming out of what we're going through right now? If there's any positive I see is the fact that everyone was forced to slow down. Everyone was forced to actually communicate, to actually speak to right. one another because texting doesn't do it. Right. Because we miss to look at someone's face and hear their voice. The only thing I can pray for is that when this passes and this too shall pass, we don't go back to being the way we were. We don't forget how important family is, how important being together is, how unimportant the things that we think are important are. You know, I'm, it's funny, I, I did an interview and, and I, I said, this is the first time that the whole world is actually looking up and idolizing real heroes. Not celebrities, not yep. reality stars. I mean, real life heroes that are that are in your life every day that we don't look at. You know that we pay no mind to because we're worried about what this celebrity's doing and what that celebrity's doing. How much we realize how unimportant the idea of going out getting as much money as you possibly can. How important family is. How 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 sacred and how fragile life is you know and it's like when you get that into perspective you actually get to understand the real gift of what life truly is and there's going to be suffering and there's going to be pain because that's what it is too but there's so much beauty as well you know but we're, we're, what do we see on twitter and social media we have a, a a country that's divided now a world that's divided we live in fear. We, we live in hate. Everyone's hating on someone. And, and I just think to myself, when does that stop? Like, when do we, we start looking at each other differently? Like, I don't, I don't know. I don't know. You know, I'm old school. I, I, right. I, you know, I, I don't know. I don't know when. I just pray that it happens in my lifetime that we, we stop all of this, cra this crazy hate. It's all there is on Twitter anymore. It's just right. one hate after another hate. Yeah. I mean, people say, you know, I hear people say, oh, I can't wait till things go back to normal. And I'm like, well, what normal are you looking for? Like, like to me, you know, that there, there was a lot of things that we just kind of accepted because we could. And now all of a sudden that we're feeling that fear. There's so many people in America that feel that fear with or without a pandemic, you know, don't have money that can't put food on the table. Like, like we need to start, you know, I hope that out of this comes a new awakening in terms of people saying, wait a second, you know, like forget about trying to get as rich as I can. How am I going to give back to my neighborhood as much as I can? How am I going to get back to the, you know, the, the country as much as I can? Plus when, it, when is enough enough? You know what I mean? Right. Like, would it, right. Would it, when do you, do you need everything? I mean, does anyone need that? If you've got a roof over your head, you have food in the refrigerator, a family that loves you and you can pay your bills, you're in better shape than 99% of the whole plan. Right. Yep. Yeah. You know, so, and, yep. and it took me a long time to learn that. It took a lot of tragedy in my life to truly understand that value. So when I speak, I try to relay that to other people to let them know that even through the worst of tragedies, you can still stay standing. And I, you know, I tell people that lost children that as long as you're standing, you're honoring your child. The minute you give up, crawl in the corner and want to die, then they died for nothing. And you, you can't have that. And lately my goal has been not letting another parent ever feel, feel this pain. And I've done the best that I can do, but it's, you know, I, 
I pray for strength every day when I get up to do what I can do and, you know, doing interviews and, and, um, and speaking uh, is a good way for me to try to get the message out that, you know, we really can change the world, but we got to change ourselves first. Amen. Yeah. Yep. All right. We want to take it, uh, take it to the blunt. Let's go. All right. So we're going to hit your rapid fire questions, rapid fire. Answers. Oh my God. <laughs> All right, what are you uh, what are you watching in the pandemic? Uh, a lot of Netflix. Um, uh, I rewatched Breaking Bad, Better Call Saul. I love those shows. I love crime shows. I like that too. Um, and Did you watch uh, Tiger King? Ozark. What's that? Oh, okay. Yeah, we're we're watching Ozark now. My wife. Oh, watch- Ozark is great. It. Yeah. Uh, what is your, who's your favorite R&B singer of all time? Uh, Marvin Gaye. Mm. Uh, are you a, um, a bath towel or a bath robe kind of guy? Bath towel. I'm in. Uh, what's your favorite dessert? Uh, I'm not a big, I'm not a big dessert guy, but if you push me into a corner for dessert, I'd have to say the triple chocolate cake. Oh, any place in particular you're getting it? Uh, well, I, the Rim Cafe is one of my favorite places in the city. If you have not been there, once this is over, they make the greatest cannolis and chocolates you will ever have in your life. And Renee is one of the greatest characters to ever live. What's it called? The Rim? It's right on the corner of Ninth and Federal. It's the Rim Cafe. He's got like. 500,000 followers on Facebook. <laughs> oh, wow. Right. Take another uh, uh, Air hockey or pool? Pool. Played pool my whole life as a kid. <clears throat> Is it uh, ever acceptable to wear a short sleeve shirt with a blazer? <laughs> what is a blazer? Now, I'm kidding. <laughs> I, never, I never wear a blazer, so I, I would now. Uh, if you're going out to eat in South Philly, where, or, or if, if the four of us are going out to eat in South Philly, where are you taking us? Oh, I will never answer that question. Uh, <laughs> I will man. destroy it. I have quite a few places man, that I, I take people to. I would have wagered heavily on the saloon. Man, <laughs> yeah. I would have lost a lot of money. I man. am not. I plead the fifth on that one. Uh, um, how many How many tats you got and what's your favorite one or most meaningful one? How many what? Uh, tattoos. Uh, I've got a lot. Um, <laughs> I guess... The most meaningful one is this one, if you can see it. Do you see the Superman? Yeah. Mm-hmm. My son Tony loves Superman, and that's his actual thumbprint. Oh, nice. Inside the Superman tattoo. Beautiful. Nice. Uh, true or false, you collected money for escorts while you were in high school. I did run an escort service when I was How do we skip over that in the interview? Yeah, I mean, I mean, not done. It was a different, I was a young kid. I got pulled into the whole mob thing. I just, it was another lifetime. Yep. And it was for a very short period. And I'm totally against it now. So, yeah. Yeah, how did how do we miss that part in the main interview? I would have never answered those questions. <laughs> that Tony died in the uh, in the late seventies. Right. Uh, are you a good dancer? Uh, actually, yes. Okay. <laughs> what, what do you what do you what do you dance to? What's your dance What's your dance music? Well, when I was a kid, it was disco. So I mean, because that was my era. Um, we, we were we were listening tonight, Cosmo. We interviewed this guy, Cosmo Baker, who's a DJ in South Philly, and Tony, you'd love him. He 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 does a disco show every Friday night on Facebook Live. I'm gonna send you the link so you can listen next weekend. I my wife and I were dancing disco for an hour tonight. It was awesome. Oh, I love it. Plus, I'm Italian, so of course I could dance. <laughs> uh, what's uh, some advice you would give people on on relationships how to maintain them how they go wrong love the whole nine I think that most people in a relationship um, are very forgiving 
but the one thing that strikes dead into the heart that leaves the deepest scar is infidelity. Mm. And, you know, my, my, I, and believe me, I, I wasn't the, the greatest husband, um, but um, it was another lesson in life that I learned. And the other thing I tell, you know, I've been with my, my girlfriend Maria now going on seven years. Mm -hmm. And I remember when I met her, I said, listen to me, Maria. Don't ever listen to anything I have to say. Watch everything I do. Because words don't matter. Actions matter. Mm -hmm. And for me, fidelity is the big, I, I always said to her, I make you this promise. If there comes a day where I feel like I just want to stray, I will leave you before I betray you because that's the whole deal. It's for me, sex is sex. It's not the sex part, it's the actual betrayal mm. of trust and someone that loves you. So my advice would be there's a lot that can be forgiven in a relationship, but infidelity is to, to me just cuts deep into the core of 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 the relationship and most times it, it it's never really mended it might be forgiven right. and if you learn from it but that scar is always going to be there gotcha uh i was really happy to see that i believe it's your twitter account that follows paul williams oh yes. paul is a great guy yeah yeah so i, I want to know which the better song the love boat theme song or rainy days and mondays Oh, for me, it was rainy days and Monday. Yeah. But I will tell you this. I'm glad you brought up Paul Williams. A quick little snippet. Yeah. I love I'm Paul in California. Williams. I'm in California filming, and um, I have this thing called the Sound Mind Network with Joe Niccolo and Joe Giacomo. And what we're doing is we're doing an album, uh, constant music on recovery. And Kevin Bacon just came in and recorded two songs for it. Then we're going to do a concert in Philadelphia for the Soundline Network. Uh, Sophie B. Hawkins is on board. Oh, wow. Billy Joel's got a track on there. You know, all these artists are coming on. So I'm in LA and I call Paul Williams through a friend of mine, Craig Shoemaker, and we start talking and Paul goes, you doing something for addiction, Tony? And I said, yeah, Paul. He goes, what do you need? Just tell me whatever it is you need. Do you want to use one of my songs? Do you want to use Evergreen? Do you want to use... No, I said, well, Paul, I'd like you to write something new and he goes tony you do know what i do for a living right and i'm like um well you're a songwriter he goes no you do know i'm the president of ascap right and I, <laughs> I, I didn't know that paul i'm a member of ascap and he goes just tell me who you want what you need whatever i can do he said to to, to help people be more aware of what addiction really is and i just thought uh, you needed to hear that. He's such a humble, wonderful, wonderful man who you know struggled yeah. with addiction yeah, you know, yeah. most of his life. Yeah, he was on like every like late 70s, early 80s sitcom or TV show. Oh. He was always on it, man. He's a brilliant songwriter. Yeah. Uh, what advice do you have for 18-year-old Tony? What advice do I have for him? Yeah. You're an idiot and just shut your mouth. Because everything you think you know, you don't. Eventually, eventually, the bio pick will be made. Who's playing you? Because you can't do it. Not you. Oh my God! It'd be somebody who likes to gain and lose weight. <laughs> I've done that my entire life. Chris, Christian Bale does that all the time. He's <laughs> yeah, but he's way better looking than I am. So, uh, who would I get to? Oh my God! I actually. Um, You're the casting director. Yeah. I don't. I I got to tell you, I I oh uh, I don't know. I I, I really you really stopped me with that. Well, some it's something to think about because someone's gonna make a movie about you one day, brother. Never gonna. Happen. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, come uh, on, Bruce Willis. I think Bruce Willis. Um. Uh, let me see. Well, Bruce, he can't play the younger me, actually. <laughs> you know who would have been a good me mm -hmm. back in the day mm -hmm. was, who was the guy that played the commish? Oh, I know oh Michael, Michael Chiklis. Michael Chiklis would have been, <laughs> been a good name. Uh, do you go Wiz American or Provolone? Uh, I go Provolone. 
My there it is. That's the correct answer. Yeah. yeah. That's the correct answer. All right. We want to thank you so much, Tony, man. We yeah, really thanks, appreciate man. this. This is awesome. Thanks, Tony. Thank you so much. So much thanks respect for, for you, man. You've done. Hey, uh, can you plug your artist one more time and tell us where we can find her at? Oh, Instagram, Gabrielle Delisi. Her new single, Three Little Birds, is already out on iTunes and streaming services. Our EP is going to drop, I want to say, around May 1st. Be on the lookout on her album. Uh, I wrote Walk Away uh, and Stole My Heart. And I'm actually playing all the keys on um, uh, House of Cards on her album. as well. And she's an excellent songwriter, you know, as well. So please, and like I said, I'm on Instagram most of the time. I'm on Facebook and Twitter, but Instagram, just at Tony Luke Jr. And you can kind of keep up on everything that, you know, is going on. Cool. Good luck with everything. Yeah, I thank appreciate you so it, much, guys. This was amazing, man. Yep. Thanks, Tony. God yeah. bless you all. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. It's the sound of Philadelphia. Yo, yo. Welcome to the home of brotherly love. Brothers covered in blood. The man's office is covered in bugs. The youth dreams cut short. Sweet.